All right. What's going on? Welcome to Polly with us. Thanks for tuning in. I'm here today with my guy, Fa. How you feeling? Good, man. Just about a hoop after this. Yeah, yeah for so. those of you that can't see him, he got his LeBron headband on. You know, he got the chalk. He's about to, you know, throw the chalk in the air. Now, he, he we was talking off air a little bit. He was telling me his handle's trash, though. That, that's what he told me. They are trash. So if you're guarding me, uh, you don't got to worry about anything. So can you at least get open like Rick Hamilton used to do? Because, you know, Rick Hamilton wasn't really a dribbler like that, but he had those moves. He can get an open space and hit that mid-range. That's I can do that. I can come off screens. I can set screens, come off of them. I, and I can hit the mid-range. And I can hit some threes. So some threes too. Better shooter than Ben Simmons for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not too not, hard. To not not, not saying a lot right though. Now, you know. But he's but everybody's talking about him though. Yeah, yeah. May, hopefully, Ben will work at it this off season. Actually, getting there. I mean, he doesn't have to shoot threes, but he needs just you know at least a little shot, at least a mid range shot. And and just, yeah, and then take them like just take yeah. those shots because defense will give you them. So. Yeah, because if he had just a little jump shot, he'll be unstoppable. There's really nothing you can do with him. He just needs just a little jump shot. Like, for example, right, Rondo really is not a good shooter, but he'll take the shot, and sometimes he'll make it. He can get on little streaks where he hit a three, where he can hit a mid-range, even though he's not a great shooter. You don't have to be a great shooter. You just have to be a little bit of a threat. Because you know how these got Rondo, they used to just back up off him. Just, just, but he will still take those shots, though. Right, you right, have exactly. To, you can't be scared to take those shots. Like, um, remember San Antonio, that's how they guard LeBron. They will back off. And and seven, yep, 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 yep. But he started taking those shots. you, you got to be able to do that. Exactly, exactly. Now, speaking of taking a shot, progressives need to start taking their shots as well. Now, I feel like this session, Progressive's been doing a lot what Philly and Ben Simmons was doing. You know, they haven't been taking a shot. Um, we talked about this a few months ago uh, with the public option, right? They should have been pushing for the public option. A report just came out, right, that during this pandemic, like 80 million people was on Medicaid, um, that is crazy. That mm -hmm. that is crazy. If you have those type of numbers, you can justify transitioning into a public option. Right. And the, the numbers with Medicaid and the CHIP program, the child health insurance program as well combined. Like you have those type of numbers, you can you can parlay that into a public option and push for it. Especially since the public option is not as scary as Medicare for all for some people, even though eventually I think that's where we definitely need to get to. Um, but we, you know, Biden is in office and that's what he's campaigned on. They should have been pushing him for it. Um, but I, I don't know your opinion on this. Um, what do you think of the, the progressive strategy so far on health care? I know um Instead of pushing for the public option, the push been to lower the Medicare age to 60s. What mm -hmm. do you think about this strategy versus pushing for a public option? I understand why 
the Medicare age is the one they're trying to go at. It seems like the lowest hanging fruit in terms of the budget resolution that both the House and the Senate are going to pass to set up the next reconciliation package. Um, but I think that's, I think they were aiming, I think they're aiming not high enough. I, I, I actually agree with you that the, the public option is not even in the conversation. I mean, there has been nothing, literally nothing, the last four or five months since Biden got in. And Biden, remember, ran, ran on the public option. And even if you remember, I don't know if you remember, but if you're watching TV or if you were watching YouTube videos, you got advertisements from this group in DC. It's called the American Health Insurance Coalition. I forgot what it's called. But anyway, they're running a lot of ads because they were getting kind of nervous that, you know, when the Dems took power, that they would actually propose like a public option in, in within the Obamacare framework, right? Like they would increase the subsidies and then they also add the public option. Um, but yeah, in terms of what the progressives are doing, I don't think it's been an effective strategy either. Um, and and I think they're just trying to pick their battles of what they think they can actually affect the most change because within the Democratic caucus in the House, you yeah, you have half of them maybe that would sign on to Medicare for all. But when it comes to a vote, you know, in terms of like a public option, they all would say, oh, we support a public option but nobody's like leading that charge to get that done in the House or the Senate. And then the Senate, as we know, is much more conservative. Um, all those Dems there, I, you know, especially those 10 right-wing Dems. Everybody talks about Cinema and Mansion, but those 10 like right-wing Dems that are there. Warner, Coons. Warner, Coons, um, you know, uh, the one from, one of them from New Hampshire, uh, Shaheen. Shaheen, yeah. Uh, um, the other Shaheen. one from, oh, oh, the one from California, Diane Feinstein. I mean, Tesla. Tester. Though Tester, uh, um, he's kind of better than a lot of them. A little. He's bit. better than a lot of them, but he's but, still because he's come from a conservative state. Too. He's coming he's from a conservative state. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So you you have that coalition. It's a hot. The Democrats themselves. It's a hot mess. Just like because you have a party that's not ideologically homogeneous at all. And, and in terms of healthcare, it's just the and Plus also the Democrats don't want to touch. It seems like they don't want to touch healthcare at all now. Like just because it's politically, so ridiculous. just because politically they are so shell shocked from 2010. But and that's there. The and they're hitching their wagons on the infrastructure plan. Mm -hmm. And then that looks like to be a disaster right now because they want to do a bipartisan deal and this bipartisan deal is you know is basically what trump was proposing in 2017 like the privatization the the user well yeah they're talking about user fees they're talking about uh recycling infrastructure to investors which means selling off public works like are some of the ports some of the bridges I mean, a whole bunch of stuff it's kind of crazy yeah. and it's a you know one trillion dollar package which you know if you, a lot of that money the, is reallocated as well it's just reallocated exactly huh. so why so i hope that that the progressives in the house and in the senate can muster up the votes to block that 
and well, force them, force the Biden administration and these Democrats to go reconciliation. Well, I want to get into that in one second, but yeah. they shouldn't be scared of health care at all. Health care is what won them a lot of seats right. in Congress. Exactly. That's how they really won Congress back in exactly. 2018. Buying campaign on a public option, it mm-hmm. like for me, it doesn't go far enough, but that's what he campaigned on. A public option, if you poll it, it polls very well. Right. And if you really want the Affordable Care Act to work, you kind of need something like a public option. Because if you go in the marketplace, exactly. I don't know if you ever went on the marketplace and tried to get insurance on the marketplace before. Um, I, I haven't, few- but I've done it. I've done it for my parents before. Well, I haven't done it. Yeah, I haven't I haven't actually picked it. I looked at it a few years ago and it really wasn't cheap at all. And I didn't I don't think I didn't fall under the categories of getting a ton of subsidies either. Mm-hmm. Because I know um for some of the marketplace that you get a subsidy. If you're doing all that, you might as well have a public option. <laughs> you right, know. Right, um right. and if you're going to put money in Cobra. You might as well get a public option. Public option. If you had exactly. 80 million people on the chip and on Medicaid, you might as well do a public option. Right. And again, this was something that was campaigned on. But I think just if you look at strategy, I just think that sometimes progressives don't go for the right strategies. For example, like it was a whole big thing of forced to vote with hmm. Medicare for all, which has zero chance of passing. Right. Absolutely zero chance passing. Now, secret like uh, this is not a big secret, but Democrats really don't want the public option either. Biden never didn't really want a public option. They had a chance to push for that in 2010. Now, Medicare for all is much better, but these conservative Dems don't want a public option at all. But because they campaigned on it, you could have put public pressure and forced the vote on the public option if you really want to force a vote. That way they'll be on the hook in Congress and you could have asked them like you don't support Biden policy. Biden campaigned on a public option. That would have put pressure on the White House. Uh And that could have realistically passed, in my opinion, if we would have had the right strategy. But we just don't. We just don't. It's a combination of things. You have some on the left that want no compromise. Um, and I'm sick of compromising too. And, but what I'm looking at is not necessarily compromise, like what realistically we can get done in this session. We knew once Biden won the nomination, stuff like Medicare for all wasn't going to happen because you're just not going to pressure him to do something like that. So what can realistically could we get with buy-in. So what I would have did, what we should have did is looked at buying plans. What was the best aspects of his campaign? You know, because yeah. he promised a bunch of stuff. What was his best plans? Okay, the public option was right there. Force him to do what he said. Um, he also said that nobody would, could pay over 8.9% of their um, yearly salary towards health care. That was going to be a cap. There's mm-hmm. realistic things we can do. Also, with the lowering the Medicare um, age, just a bad strategy. Under Hillary Clinton plan, it was 55. So we're going backwards on that. Right, right. So I know Bernie is supposed to introduce the reconciliation, um, lowering Medi- Medicare to 60. 
why not go to 55? Right. And if you really want that to pass, go for 65. I mean, go for 55, 55. because it's probably going to get negotiated down to 60 anyway if you do that. Right. Why do we start at where the compromise should be at as a negotiating point? That doesn't always, make sense. That's a classic Democratic position. doesn't matter what spectrum people fall on the Democratic Party. It seems like that's a common occurrence. And nobody do that in negotiation. Like if you if yeah. you just go <laughs> negotiating for a car, you try to talk them down. You, right. know, you don't give what you uh, expect to give. If you ever bought a house before, mm-hmm. like I sold my house a couple years ago, even when I bought my house, you don't give your best offer up front. Um, it's negotiation, right. back and forth usually. Back and forth, yeah. So why do the the Dems start off with what the compromise should be? Because a lot of them is more conservative, they don't, and they don't really mind the more conservative policy. That's mm-hmm. what it is. But it's up to us to force them to do the right policy. And I, I'm just frustrated at the strategy. No, I agree. I completely agree. I, I just don't think that the strategy is yielding anything. I don't think that there's enough pressure on this particular issue. There's really just been no attention on it. I mean, I don't, and I don't know when their window would be because right now, as we talked about before, you know, we're in June, it's then almost the end of June. You know, it's almost July. You know, Congress doesn't do nothing in August, right? They're they're not even they're not even here in D.C. in August. So, you know, you, you there's re- and like we just saw the for the people act just failed in the Senate because of the filibuster. Ha ha ha. What a shocker. Um, right. <laughs> shocking. And and so there's, you know, like what's going to be the catalyst to make the Democrats realize they don't have a lot of time and they're going to lose the House next year just based on redistricting. So what's going to push these folks beyond, uh, beyond us, but the voters, um, you know, trying to push them? I mean, it just seems like they're – I don't know. It just seems like there's too many of them that are resigned to not doing anything, in right. my opinion. Now, this is what I want to talk about because we're going to get into the infrastructure bill. But on a local level, what's some policies we can do and really enact at a local level? I know each area is different, and this is why it's hard to get one concrete strategy on a local um, area um, because – each demographic is, di- is different. So the the demographics and what's acceptable in, let's just say, Atlanta will be not necessarily the same in D.C., not necessarily the same where I'm at in Buffalo or in New York City. Mm-hmm. But I think there's certain stuff we can do. Um, things like health care is really hard to do on a local level. Yeah, um, I know a few years ago de Blasio did some type of public health program there but it's for just like the ultra ultra poor it wasn't nothing like a major public option so something like healthcare would be hard to do on the local level on the state level depending on how progressive your state is you might be able to push for a state health care plan even though it really better if it come from federal government but like here in new york state we have um the new york health plan that's actually really getting the push at the end of the day, I don't think they really go and enact 
single payer on the state level, but at least it's a push. I know California pushed for it um, a few years ago. So I think that's a longer fight that can get done in some progressive states, but um, it's going to be tough. The reason why I bring it up, and hopefully I don't sound like I'm ranting, is that policies that seem impossible now oftentimes start at a local and state level, and then it snowballs way not down but up. It builds up steam, and eventually it gets to the federal level. Something like marijuana legalization, right? Mm-hmm. It started off really at local levels with right. certain municipalities not really cracking down on arresting people for marijuana, or they will allow you to have a certain amount of grams on you without getting arrested. So certain municipalities was doing that um, for a while. Then in, I believe, was it 2010, when marijuana became legal in Colorado and Washington State. Washington State, yeah. Right. And it took those, that's when it really started um hitting all the state levels even before that the legalization of medical marijuana was state yeah. through the states even though it's still illegal in the federal government and now you have like almost just about half the states where marijuana is either legal um recreationally or medically you know so that pause even though it's still illegal federally but i feel like we're really close maybe not with Biden because he's so conservative, but if the next Democratic president and maybe even depending on who, if a Republican in there, it's still a possibility depending on who it is, but we really close with um, marijuana. Yeah, yeah. Um, so regards to how you feel about something like gay marriage, right? Um, and I'm not bringing that up. Again, this is not whether you for it against it whatever it's about the strategy the strategy started at state level started at the state level yeah it's really yeah yeah that's sort of how it started and and the, the national attitude was obviously hostile you know and right I mean, you even look at george w bush's 2004 campaign i mean you know they they were running that culture war on that front hard uh-huh. um and and you know then obviously it was basically what like a decade and after that then you're starting to see all of these, um, you know, these these laws being passed in, at the state level, you know, permitting it or are lessening the discriminatory measures against it, and and then obviously then Obama came out for it, and and uh, Biden had come out for it, so that was at the top, and then the Supreme yeah. Court decision, you know, that, even that was, before that, what really kicked it off was um, even uh, more purple state in Iowa, it got legalized there. The Supreme mm. Court um, said it was legal there. New right. York was one of the major states that became legal in two um, before the Supreme Court got involved and made it legal. So I'm looking at certain policies. Um, in your opinion, what policies can start at the local or state level? And I know it's different. So like a, a local area like Atlanta, they have to deal with being in a conservative state overall, like Georgia, where the Republicans control everything on the state level, but you still, have, but you know, you can control a lot on the local level. So you do, you're going to have that situation in certain um, local areas. But for 
others, what do you think we could push at the local level and then eventually maybe a state level before we get to the federal government? Yeah, I think at the local level, if you're talking about like the municipal level, if you're talking mm -hmm. about the county level, you county know, you or could, cities, depending on the county or cities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like, you know, everybody talks about housing. Um, I think things like local, you know, zoning laws to enable more housing to be built. That's one thing that I know that's at the local level, big thing. Um, that's a big thing that's talked about in Washington, DC. It's a big thing talked about here in PG County and other places, you know, that's like, that's one thing where if you're able to pass legislation at that level to enable more housing to be built, that would definitely help the real estate market and the consumer, which right now it's been crazy. Wow. Um, Is it, can you explain that a little bit more? Um, uh, I just want yeah. to follow up questions about that because that might be vague for some people. Now, these zoning laws, how does that restrict housing from being built? And if you change that laws, would the money be there to actually build affordable housing? That's a good question. So the, a lot of these zoning laws are ancient and they, they basically are put in place by, depending on where you're at, like let's say it's Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. um, you got neighborhoods where you got neighborhood associations that have lobbied to keep the zoning laws where it just has the same plots of land where there could be construction. And then after that, there's no more construction, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have developers who come in who want to build on, let's say, a historic like part of a park, right? Mm -hmm. Or like a historic or part of this historic roadway or whatever, and it's part of this neighborhood. Um, so in DC, for example, you have laws that 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 basically prohibit that kind of construction because of culture stuff or you know cultural heritage stuff, or it could be, or in some other neighborhoods, it's because the neighborhood because because you have a lobby in the city that that is actually actively keeping those laws there so that you can't have new housing built. And if you do have new housing built, you have more supply, which also affects the property prices, which would dent somebody's you know, wealth, right? So that's basically what I'm getting at in terms of the zoning laws. Um, in terms of like changing them at the local level, like I know, or in terms of like not changing them, but in terms of like funding, like of new, new housing units yeah at the local level that's tougher to fund i feel like that's something that you know that's something that the state state government and the federal government work on with the with you know housing and urban development um depending on the allocation of funds during a year um that's something that in good times where you have a where like Obama, for example, when he was president, more money went to HUD, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you saw money from HUD going to some localities to build more housing. Um, you know, stuff like that is possible. Obviously, that's kind of reliant on the federal government, but at the local level, you could make the seeds planted for where in the future it could be possible, where yeah. you could where you could have um, if you did have some some of these laws changed, and then you could have more housing built. But it's it is sort of a vague thing, but it's kind of like 
and also in uh, another way, in my opinion, the more specific example is just like in a city where there's there's not a lot of housing built. You know, that's like the best way to get rents and housing prices a little bit more under control. Because right now it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's very um, crazy. <laughs> yeah, with with, with um, the price of rent. Um, hopefully, with housing, I know um, lumber prices has went down. Yeah, they've gone now. down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that should curve any fears of inflation, and also we'll see how that um, impact the housing market right now. So, but we'll see. Um, as far as local policy, the reason why I want to discuss this, and the reason why this is important, I want people to understand this. Right? Too often on our side of things that we we don't have a concrete strategy, and right now. It's hard on the federal level on several fronts. Um, not only you have um, the Supreme Court as an obstacle, you have a very conservative Democratic administration in, in office. Um, and just the fact he's not doing what we want to do is going to be even harder after next month, not just because of August, but uh, we mentioned this before. People is about to get a lot of money, a lot of a lot of people's about to get a lot of money with the child tax credit that right. um, some of them don't even know is coming. I was just talking to somebody uh, the other day. He, they about to receive a lot of money and they don't even know it. And I was educating them about the process and what, what it is. So once people get money, they probably going to be like, Oh, Biden's doing a great job. I got some money. Right. <laughs> oh, and then complacency will set in. Again, yep, yeah. not looking at the bigger picture. So right. um, long term, I think we have to tackle local and state and I think steam up to federal level. Um, but right now we can control local level. So yeah, um, a strategy is like, let's just say UBI, right? UBI, I was going to say UBI, yeah. That was the next one. I think you because some pilot programs have happened um, in a few local municipalities, especially with marijuana becoming legal. Um, a proposal that's here is to, because marijuana just became legal in New York State, for our county is to take the funding that we gonna get with um, marijuana with taxation and use that as UBI for the poor neighborhoods in the city. Mm -hmm. I think that's a realistic policy that can happen on the local level without even the state being involved because it's too, because again, depending where you at, it's harder to get things done on state level as well. Exactly. Um, if you want to donate to campaigns to the city council, you can do a lot, lot less money than you can with um, trying to donate to the governor or um, your local congressman. So I'm looking at those type of policy. I think that's what we need to come together with is, okay, on the economics, should, should we do something with housing and how can, what, what policy is best on the local level of housing? Should we focus on uh, UBI? Should we focus on some type of business incentives for um, poor communities or especially for black communities? Because I'm always looking for what's, what's best for um, black black policy because we've been left out with so many different programs. What can we do on a local level um, progressively? You know, um, I would love funding for black businesses, um, make grants available, 
um, training, like we need to come up with some type of concrete policies we can push on a local level where most, where progressives, um, I won't say are in control, but have a better chance of getting in control. Yeah, like, I think yeah, I think on the UBI front, I think there's momentum there because you've got a lot of mayors all over the country that are kind of collaborating on that. And it'd be interesting if, if you could get a couple of governors involved in that too, because then you might actually get like a real, like a real momentum um, on UBI. Like momentum we haven't seen since like the 60s probably. Like, because in the 60s they were doing pilot projects in different right. parts of the country. And so now we have, we're, we're seeing more of that all over the place. I well, think the city, I think the city of Oakland just announced They a did new, a pilot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a new pilot. Yeah. So I think they did a pilot in Stockton as well. Stockton, right. The mayor, well, the former mayor, he lost last year. Right. Um, yeah. Had piloted that project. So, so I think that that's one. I think the other thing and we touched upon it before was um, police reform. Um, I think that is a thing that at the local level, definitely, definitely at the local that. level, that's definitely doable. And I think that's definitely doable with a lot of these, as I mentioned, a lot of these mayors, a lot of these uh, state governments that where the Democrats do have majorities or do have the governor mansion. Um, like in Maryland, for example, they just, like the Democratic legislature actually did pass a pretty good bill a couple months back um, on several items on police reform. Um, and I know in, um, what was it, in Minnesota, obviously, there's a lot going on there in Minneapolis. Um, so I think I think there's a lot that, that that can happen. I think that's also sort of, not entirely, but it's sort of trickled up to Congress because you do have the, the George Floyd Act that we've known about. That, became, that came because of pressure from activists and that came from a lot of activity at the local level. So I think those are kind of the three things that I was thinking about because because um, yeah. I think um, other items, yeah, I think, you know, other items like, um, you know, grants to small like black businesses, you know, that's something that I wish we could do it from the federal side because we know what happened with PPP. We know what happened with like, you know, we always talk and we also talk about reparations. Shout out to us getting, you know, shout out to Juneteenth becoming a holiday, but you know, that's all that they <laughs> want to do. I mean, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah um, and like, I, I, I'm not even talking about that on the political show. Now I do, I am doing a show uh, called flash and black do something on Juneteenth with that because history is important. Um, I don't think symbolism is worthless, but right now we need more than symbolism. It's yeah, cool, we need tangible stuff. Yeah, yeah. we definitely do. So uh, we need to formulate this and I think every show I'm going to mention a local policy that we can start pushing for. I know UBI is definitely one of them police reform and uh, my area, we passed Carrie Law. Carrie Horn was a police officer here in the city of Buffalo. She stopped a fellow police officer from um, doing a tremendous amount of damage to a suspect they had in custody. She stepped in, and the other officer actually punched her, but they fired her. Mm -hmm. 
but just now exactly, and they, yeah. they fired her right before she was able to get her pension um and this happened like in 2006 she was just able to get her pension um earlier this year mm-hmm. earlier this year or it might have been last year like because I had to get everything's blending in. But within the last year, she was able to get her pension. They passed Cario Law here in the city of Buffalo, which states that if a police officer see another police officer using excessive force or doing what they're not supposed to do, they are mandated to step in, mm-hmm. which should be the bare minimum. Right. Right. So you can do police reform in local level. You can put pressure on a mayor. Mayors pick the police chief. So that so that definitely is something we can do. Um, but we definitely need to start thinking about economics on a local level and how we can really, really have an impact on that. The school system is an absolute mess. Um, and that's difficult to do as well. But... Yeah, that's every show I wanna I wanna start talking about that. Speaking of local elections, it's not my area, but my wife is from the area. My wife is from New York City, but New uh-huh. York is having a mayor race. Let me see. When I think polls close at nine here in New York City, in the state, but we should we might not get any results tonight just because um they have ranked choice voting and mm-hmm. i think every place should have a right choice of voting by the way that's another thing right but um i don't know how do you feel about the mayor race i got my opinions I, i'm gonna let you go <laughs> i mean obviously i'm not in new york i'm not a new yorker but um just seeing it from afar it seems like it's been a a crazy hot mess of a race where it doesn't seem like any candidate has really stuck out or or has kind of sort of separated themselves in terms of like being pretty good on policy like i just feel like you know yeah you got some that are better than others for sure but it just doesn't seem like you have somebody who has that mix of you know who knows what they're going to do when they get in and can actually implement it. I mean, I think just from the from from the vantage point where I'm at, I see that Garcia has a lot of municipal experience, but can she win? I don't think so. Um, Eric Adams also has been involved in city, but this guy has a lot of terrible policies, and he's uh, he's a former cop. Funny thing is, he's not even. I don't even think he's got endorsed by his own union, former union, which is funny. Um, then you got Andrew Yang, who was the front runner for like ever for the whole race until like the last three weeks, and he's fallen off a cliff because you know people clearly see that he's being his campaign's being run by was it Bradley Tusk, the Bloomberg advisor? Um, so he's basically, you know, he's basically a robot. He's not, you know, the guy is uh, just churning out whatever his consultants are telling him to do. And then you've seen Maya Wiley rise up uh, in the polls. I I don't, I mean, all I know about her is that she's a lawyer and she's- AOC endorsed her. AOC endorsed her. So she's kind of taken the progressive lane away from Scott Stringer, who's also fallen off the cliff after all those like allegations came out and everybody unendorsed him and all that stuff. 
Um, so yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a hot mess. I, right. I I mean, it looks like Adams is going to win, which is I think terrible for New York. I think um, so. But um, but I think that that's going to happen. And I don't um, know. Who, I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know. How, I I I didn't check to see. You know, I haven't really followed his campaign that much, but I don't know who's really funding him, who's really backing him. Um, yeah, it, yeah. So. His answers is very unimpressive to me. Um, yeah. It, now, most of the time, mayor races um, won't get national attention, but you know, New York is the biggest city in the right. U.S. and it, it have a major impact. Whoever is the mayor of New York usually have a national impact. So it is important. So it also goes back to what you were talking about a little bit earlier. What they do at the local level, the Democrats will try to do national level, whether that's good or bad. Right, <laughs> right, right. And oh man, this this just been a, a a mess of a race. I think it's a mess because it really was Yang. It was, to, it, was, it was Yang's to lose. To lose, and he lost it. And he lost it, yeah. Um, this is one of the worst campaigns I've ever seen in my life. Yang campaign. <laughs> um, number one, I don't know why he thought Bloomberg was popular. Right. Bloomberg Bloomberg was stopping frisk. Right. Um, violating people's rights. And he had been exposed on his presidential run. I think he thought it would be okay to be associated with Bloomberg because Bloomberg had money. And I think in their world, like establishment world, Bloomberg is respected. But Bloomberg name tastes like, you know what, right. <laughs> if you say it. Um, being associated with that hurts. So you being associated with all the Bloomberg scandals, all his policies, and basically, basically let people know you a corporate shield too. And one of Yang's appeals was being an outsider, right? Um, thinking outside the box with UBI. His UBI plan uh, was feckless for New York. It, it wasn't even worth doing it. Um, he proposed, I believe, his plan was proposed a UBI for what? The the five hundred thousand five hundred thousand people that had like two thousand bucks or something like that. Yeah, for about for a year, for a year. 500,000 people. New York, now, that seemed like a lot, but New York City, it's a city over 8 million people. Right. So that's a fraction of the population. And I understand it's hard to do it on a local level. Right. But besides that, what was he offering? More, more money for the police. <laughs> again, a, 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 a turn off. So it was really his to win. He had the biggest name. He had the momentum, but he just kept messing up. The Israel comments didn't help with progressives. Um, and I think, because, again, he associated with Bloomberg, who is a big Zionist. Right. Um, and I think maybe because of that, and because New York have a significant Jewish population, he thought that was the right to go. But New York is a very diverse city. So it's and not all Jewish people support the Netanyahu government or right. the former Netanyahu government. I right. say or, or, the, or, the, yeah, or the state of Israel itself or, right. or, or, or everything the state of Israel does. Right. Yeah. Right. Not all Jewish people support the um, 
the policies of yeah. that right wing conservative government. Right. So that hurt him. He was better off not saying anything. As the mayor of New York City, he didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to say anything. Yeah. yeah. So he went out of his way to make that comment, and it's just like you you don't know what you're doing. You can't. Andrew Yang is probably the worst person reading the room ever. Right. He and like I noticed this during the presidential debate. I thought all his debates on the presidential level was terrible. If he wasn't talking about UBI, he made a little bit of sense with UBI, and I don't even like the way his his version of UBI. I think could be done a lot better. By the way, right? Of course, yeah. Um, but if it wasn't talking about UBI, he made a lot of sense on automation because automation is going to be a big problem. People's not talking about it. Right. I even hear some progressives laughing at it. I'm like, no, automation is going to be a problem. Right. Um, but if it wasn't on that subject, he didn't know what he was talking about on like any other issue. Everything circled back to UBI. I'm like, UBI is important, but it don't solve every problem. Right. He, he, yeah, he circled all that. Climate change will give you money to move uh, right. to higher right. ground. Um, yeah, it's right. a, it's a, <laughs> which honestly is not a bad policy idea on the merits, to be honest with you, because some right. people will need that. But at the same time, yeah, you're right. Um, it was his race to lose, and he lost it. And right. and honestly, he didn't need to hire that firm to run his campaign, because right. from the presidential campaign, he had a donor list. Right. And he, and he also broke... He also broke, with, I believe, the record for most donors in a, in a mayor a mayoral race. I mean, right. so money was not the problem. Um, so why he yeah. hired hire why he hired those people? Why did you know if those people were the ones who told him to run? You know, I, did he feel like he had to hire them? I don't know, but but basically, his appeal um, was neutered with with that decision. Um, and and now it looked like Adams is going to win. And yeah. I wanted to support Adams, you know, black man, you know, I'll always root for that. Then I started listening to him, like, uh, looking at his, then looking at um, his past. I'm like, uh, yeah, he used to be a Republican. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's funny because um, on a site that we, we both for, I, I was debating with some people and, and I don't know. I think this happened a little bit in real life um, in New York City, too. There are some black people twisting themselves in the press so and not trying to defend racist, a racist policy like stop and frisk just because they want to support Adams because he's a right. black man. I'm like, I don't care who you are. If you support stop and frisk, you being racist. I don't care right. if you black yourself. It's a racist policy. And his defense is, well, I would apply it differently and it could be effective, but the way the NYPD applied it, that was the problem. No, it's a problem in itself. It basically violates the Fourth Amendment. And when stopping frisk, because I like I know a lot of people in New York City. Mm -hmm. What it basically did, it harassed regular people, like just you, right? You going outside with a head headband on, a lot of NYPD cops would just search you. Right. And it's not it wasn't even a, a effective policy. Like if you look at the numbers, over 90% of the time they found nothing. Very rarely they found any guns on people. Um really and crime was still going on. 
Right. Because why? Because they was randomly just stopping and frisking regular people. I know a lot of people that are like hipsters in New York, black hipsters that live in Brooklyn, that live all throughout the boroughs. And they would get stopped and frisked and it was nothing street about them. So you wasting time stopping and frisking them. <laughs> you know, like it's, it, it is crazy. It is not effective policy. It It's just target and harass innocent people and build resentment. It's a terrible policy. Mm-hmm. The fact that he just didn't come out and just say, oh, it was an outright bad policy. I was at the NYPD and I was arguing, fighting against it. He wasn't saying that. He just said, oh, it could be applied better. What way, you, what way are you planning to apply it? And you know how many races is in police units. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, there's FBI reports about white supremacists infiltrating local police officers. I mean, local um, police um, municipalities. It's not like NYPD have the best reputation to begin with anyway. So you don't think they're going to take advantage of that? So who do you think they're going to target? Exactly. Like, he lost me completely there. He doesn't seem to have a solid plan when it comes to housing. He, like, I just don't see the appeal. Because he's the Brooklyn, pre- he's the Brooklyn borough Brooklyn president. president yeah. But as far as policy, and that's that's my problem with politics. This is why um, I want to grow this outlet, because we we have to have a bigger voice. As far as policy, Adams is terrible. He's very conservative. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, he used to be a Republican. Right, right. And he actually want to expand the police department. Yeah. Which, you know, and I feel a few different ways about it. Right. I don't necessarily mind more police on the streets if we fix the underlying issues. Right. If we fix the issues of okay, there's real consequences. If you use excessive force, if you violate people's rights, whatever. Okay, I don't mind more police force in bad neighborhoods or high crime neighborhoods if we fix an underlying problem. The problem is that people try to justify this just because it's a high crime area doesn't give police the right to use excessive force. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Use each, each individual case is different. It doesn't give you the right to just randomly violate somebody um, constitutional rights with no probable cause. Just searching people with no probable cause, no nothing. Um, that's a violation of the Fourth Amendment. Exactly. Exactly. So so no. Yes, you, there's different things you can do to bring, to bring crime down. And the defund police movement, like I, I think we talked about this before, it needs to be marketed yeah. better. Yeah, of course, people are yeah. confused about what it is yeah um basically it's just okay if somebody having a mental health problem instead of calling a police officer you call their social worker you call their mental health counselor and they can help diffuse the situation better than a police officer who don't have training in that specific area right the branding of it was just terrible from the jump last summer and i i i didn't want to believe it but i you know that i had to like really believe it later on i was like yeah this was not the way to brand what we want to see from the police or what we want to see from you know 
expanded social services and things like that. Right. Um, so, and I know my yeah. my guy Heem. Eventually, he want to live in in a society that don't have police at all. And I feel that eventually, hopefully, as humanity, eventually we could get there. But we're not going to get there anytime soon. And right now, we have to live in the. And to be fair to him, he wasn't talking about like tomorrow either. Right. Right. But like, yeah. In the future, we need to start thinking about these type of things. But right now, that's you can't campaign on nothing like that. So you really have to <laughs> you you really have to be careful with the way you marketing it. But that doesn't give politicians an excuse to run away from police reform. You brand it the way you want to brand it. Then you don't have to call it defund the police. You could say increase mental health um, services. You could break it Yeah, you could break. You could break it up. Yeah, you could break. Yeah, exactly. You could break it up. You could break it down into yeah. three or four different pieces. It doesn't have to be one overarching thing, which is what I, I was a little frustrated by when I first like heard about it. And I know people were emotional, and it comes from the emotion, right? It comes from the raw emotion of seeing people get abused or killed by the police and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, we have to also realize that the police are pretty popular in a lot of places. And I don't want to say, I, I don't want to like dampen the parade, but in a lot of places in America, we're thinking, we're talking about America. Like you got old people who are be like, do you find a police? What does that mean? If I call right. 911, what's going to happen? You know what I mean? Right. Like, and it's a, very, it's a very simple mentality, but it makes sense just from their, if you just think about it from their perspective, right? These older boomer people right. and these older, other older people, even, even older black people, right? Like, right. Really like, well, I, I know we have to leave in, in, in a second, but um, it's not just older people too. There's a lot of younger people that don't know what it means. It's true. Like you it's see it on shows, like I, I do um, show reviews too. I don't, you ever watched the show, The Shy? No, I have not watched it. You heard of it? Showtime is about based in Chicago. It, it's on Showtime, you said. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, 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 yeah. On Showtime, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Anyway, this season they have a plot that um, the mayor defunded the police, right? In the show. Yeah. And they have it like there's no police going to be patrolling the neighborhood. I'm like, that's not what defund <laughs> the police means. Like, I'm like, it's not like police not going to be in the neighborhood. It's like you want to demilitarize them. Right. There's no reason for police to be riding around on tanks. There's <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and just giving money, like the increase in budget that they always get to social services to help. Right. Yeah. That that so that's prioritizing resources. The thing is, see, this is the thing with the right, how they're able to so easily frame things mm-hmm. and and frame them right back at you know, the left or whatever, and just like make it so much more uh, simple, childlike, easy to understand, easy to demonize. Mm-hmm. Um, they've mastered it down to a T and it's like, they're always able to do it. And it's just, and then they have yeah. allies, you know, with the media, yep. which will parrot all their stupid talking points. That's why they need us, Fa. Um, because right now they talk about how crime went up, have been going up. And, and it has, but it's not just in cities. It'll be going up in rural areas as well. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. Rural areas where there's not a lot of people that look like me and you either. Right. So how do they explain that? It's not that the police 
um, it demoralized there, is it? Right. Um, so, so what's the problem there? Is is because the economy had a major downshift because of COVID. Right. That's the reason crime is going up. Exactly. exactly. All right. So before we get out of here, just one, just one more question: What you think going to happen with this infrastructure bill? You think it's going to get passed? You think that progressives going to hold strong and be able to get some 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 things in there? They threatening to boy to um, vote against it. What what's your feeling on it? I'm I'm hoping that they. I'm hoping the bipartisan bill fails, the Senate one. I think I don't think it will pass the House, and I think that will force the Biden administration to really push hard for the reconciliation packages that they were going to push for anyway, which is they want to spend 2.2 trillion. They should go ahead and do that. Um, the question is, when it fails, is you know, I, I'm also hoping the Republicans also don't want to go for it as well. Um, that way, Manchin and Cinnamon, all these other fools, will not have the excuse of, oh, we didn't, you know, we didn't even try to get the bipartisan blah, 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 because we had the bipartisan thing, and it was because of the House that we couldn't pass it. So I'm hoping that enough of these Republicans are just pump faking, um, and this will have to go through reconciliation, you know, this fall. Um, that's what I think is going to happen. That's what my gut is saying. I don't think they're going to be able to pass a 60 vote um infrastructure bill that can also pass the house because i think the progressives in the house i think on this issue i think pramila jayapal i think she's going to try to use her leverage on this that's what that's what i think that's my reading of the situation what do you think uh, i can't even call it yeah um it, it's a tough I though think, yeah i think a lot of this stuff doesn't even matter until we get rid of the filibuster to be honest and yeah. I, I don't i don't know that's why i'm really coming up with other strategies for local and state government right now. Yeah. Um, if they don't pass for the, the for the people act or some type of um, voting reform with, with the um, restrictions that's that going on in all these states, it's going to be hard to do it on the state level as well in a lot of areas. So that's unfortunately where we at, but we're going to keep, we're going to keep fighting. Make sure y'all share the show, subscribe, um, share it on social media because I suck at social media. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not. Um, I'm not I, you know, I'm I'm not young. I'm fairly young. You know, I'm in my 30s, but I'm like a boomer when it comes to social media. I, I hate it. So help us out here. Share, share the show on social media. Um, we on Spotify. Uh, probably with us on Spotify uh, on YouTube. Subscribe, share. Thanks for tuning in. Peace. Peace out, y'all.